0: Welcome to In The Aisles, the movie and TV podcast that continues to review Zack Snyder content despite not being part of the fanatical Restore the Snyderverse movement. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, real news, and then our main review is Army of the Living Dead on Netflix, (laughs) directed by... Zack Snyder, starring Dave Bautista, also known as Batista.
1: But before we get to that, James, we've reached a landmark in our podcasting journey. Are you aware of it? One year. Y- yeah. All right. You've ruined You've ruined it. You've my thunder. Essentially, yes. 52 episodes. I worked it out. That's, that's, you know, 52 weeks. That's how many weeks are in a year. So a solid year. Congrats. High five. We're not in the same room. i just give myself a high five then. This episode will also go down as historical, and it will be. I've no doubt about it. As it marks a turning point in the podcast, because we can finally review films in the cinema, James, which was always the intended
0: purpose. Are you are you excited for that? I am excited. I wonder which is going to be the, the first one, though. I saw a poster on a bus for Cruella, but Disney Plus that one, I think.
1: Yeah, spend the extra 25 pound, why not? Rather than 10 pounds in a cinema. Plus petrol. So, mm, yeah, plus popcorn. Yeah, you're right, it all stacks up. Do you know what though? I personally am proud that we've persevered. Because I think we've I think we've reviewed some really top-notch content given the circumstances. We've kept current, haven't we? Provided some obscure recommendations alongside it, but we've we've been mainstream as well. We've we've had a good mix.
0: Good mix. Diverse mix.
1: Yeah. 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 And I suppose we're, we're well equipped to return to cinemas now because we're both half-vaxxed,
0: aren't we? We are, yes. I had my jab yesterday. How did it go? Smooth? Very smooth. Very nicely set up. Excellently set up. Love the, the volunteer guidance route system. My arm still hurts. I feel like I've been punched in the shoulder.
1: Yeah, it's like someone's giving you them birthday beats where they punch your arm repeatedly for how many years you've lived on the earth and then you can't feel it for. That is a thing, isn't it? It's not just I was bullied.
0: No, that is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Not fondly. I just remember it.
1: Weird question. Back to the Vax. Did you sit down for your injection? Yes, I did. Right. Okay. Well, strangely, all of my immediate friend group got faxed at the same time within a 15-minute window at the same place, which I thought, oh, that's so weird. And I thought, we're all the same age. We all live in the same area. It makes perfect sense. Um but they all sat down, but I walked in, they asked my name. I turned round to the nurse. He said, Are you ready? And I said, Yeah. And then he just shoved it in my arm. I was still stood up with my coat in my hand.
0: Done. So you walked in you registered your presence, and that was it. You got you got the jab immediately. Yeah.
1: I was literally looking at the woman, taking my information. Here, are you ready? Turn around to look at him. It's in my arm, because I said yes as I turned around, and it was just done. Very weird.
0: I didn't wow, feel it okay. either,
1: which I think is down to lockdown, White, But oh. So we, we can return to cinemas and feel safe. Well, we can't, really, because there's a lot of people about who probably won't get the vaccine, but...
0: Yeah, but we can ruin people's faces, which is what I've seen people do. So I've been vaccinated, and do yeah. what I want.
1: Exactly, can be part of that rancid crowd.
0: I was in a lift with someone today, and he wasn't wearing a mask. He said, "Oh, I'm exempt, and I am vaccinated, so don't worry." So that's not how it works.
1: But you've been vaccinated, so it did work. No, because it's not immediate, is it?
0: I don't. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Anyway, shall we swiftly move on? Yes. Hammers. Okay, james
0: what have you been watching this week on the bbc replacing the line of duty in the 9pm sunday slot the pursuit of love based on a book that again i haven't read now excuse me i have not read a romance novel published in 1945 i haven't i'm not going to so i'm not coming in and criticizing this because oh, these lines weren't in the book, which is what all the friends of the Guardian reviewer did anyway. Three episodes, all available on BBC iPlay, and I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. Maybe I'm not the target audience. It's a period drama, but not that period. It's set in the 1920s/30s, it's not 19th century. It stars Lily James famous for being Cinderella, and Emily Beecham, who you might recognise as the woman from Outside the Wire. She was in that. Yeah, very briefly. And it is about the different love pursuits that Lily James's character goes on. She seems to fall in love with any man that she gets with, and she has unsuccessful marriages, and she travels the world to try to fight the fascists in Spain and she's more free-spirited and does what she wants whereas Emily Beecham her cousin she is living the more traditional controlled life where she gets a husband and stays in the country and loyally raises her children so they're best friend cousins and they have this tension in how they're living their lives Dominic West is in it as well and he plays this really over-the-top traditional conservative with a small c father of Lily James And he's extremely entertaining and funny. He delivers all the patriarchal lines about, I should never have educated you. And it's a woman's role to do this. And he does it in a really over-the-top comical way that's very, very entertaining. And there's a lot of characters like that, that they are coming out with this typical stuff that you might expect from people in that time period. But they do it in a slightly over-the-top way that makes it entertaining and not preachy like some kind of point is trying to be made i enjoyed it it's had average reviews it's only three hours so check it out and if you enjoy it why not just go for the rest of it
1: very good i don't know why you've not checked out bridgerton looks like the same thing it's not it's not (laughs) no I'm, i'm just teasing obviously don't don't like to promote tabloid nonsense
0: but but that is what you're gonna do
1: yeah yeah (laughs) but this is the production where lily james and dominic west had a bit of an affair is it so he plays a father that makes it even more weird that's just oh well never mind um i read an article on this i think i mentioned it to you midweek as well because i knew you were gonna watch this there was a a fair amount of nepotism going on as well during this production because i think emily mortimer who stars Also writes, didn't she? And apparently
0: she just cast a lot of family and friends in it. I didn't know this. I didn't know the Dominic West thing, all the nepotism thing going into this. I'm glad I I didn't. I I went in clean. Sorry for tainting it for the rest of our viewers. The listeners, what am I talking about? James, what else have you been watching? Domina on Sky can be consumed in a number of ways, but basically it's on Sky and... HBO, I think, in America. In America. Kira Knightley film. No, that's Domino. This is Domino. Right. Sequel. Domino. It's set in ancient Rome. So Domino is the, the name of the female head of the house, I believe. And Dominus is the male. It's set in the time of the first Roman emperor, Augustus. And it focuses on Livia. Augustus's wife, and it is about how she has a great deal of power and influence behind the scenes in this male dominated environment. The first two episodes, there's a younger Domina played by Nadia Parks, who's an English actress. Episodes three to eight, she's played by Kasia Smutniak, who is a Polish actress. They don't look anything alike and they both use their own English and Polish accents, which I like. They don't even try to match the accents. They just say, right, episode three onwards, she's got a completely different accent now, and her nose is completely different. But it's fine. I I don't think it's fair to, to go after it for that. I just did think it was funny. Does she move, as in move countries? Does she relocate? Is that
1: Could that explain the accent? I know that you said that they don't.
0: No, no, there's no explanation. There's no possible reason for someone's accents to change that much. Mm -hmm. Weird. So it's about Livia's rise to power and how she tries to hold on to power and keep her husband in place while also maybe undermining him a little bit. If you like any Rome-based entertainment, like Rome or Spartacus, or maybe... Medieval stuff that has political maneuverings in the background, like Game of Thrones. I definitely recommend it, definitely. It doesn't go epic with big battles. It's not full of violence and nudity. It's just intricate plotting, scheming, secrets, spies, poisoning, betrayal, affairs, It's always something going on and it keeps up a nice pace. Unlike Jupiter's legacy that we talked about last week, where it seems like nothing happens. There's always something going on in each episode. You have to deal with a problem that comes up like, oh, Marcellus is going to be made the air. What do we do about that? We need to do something right now. So it moves along very nicely. And the performances are good. Kasia Smutniak, I've never seen her in anything else before. She's a very strong, believable Sympathetic, a powerful lead.
1: Very good. That's on Sky.
0: Yeah, it's on now app, but also on Sky Atlantic. Domino. Very good. Domino. Daniel, what have you been watching this week? Not any of the things that I intended to watch
1: at all. Um, first one, motherland. Are you aware
0: of this program? No. Is it about Russia?
1: No. No, no, not not in the slightest. It's a BBC comedy that follows a group of mums and a, and a dad singular uh, as they deal with the pratfalls of parental life. I suppose you could say it's in its third series, which only came out last month, but it apparently first aired back in. 2016, and I've caught episodes here and there. I can't say I've been a dedicated fan, but I, I remember enjoying what I have watched. So I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it. It's a joint writing venture between Sharon Horgan. Look her up, and you'll have seen her in some stuff. She was in Game Night, she was in Catastrophe. I think she writes Catastrophe as well. You'll know her face, but she's teamed up with husband and wife duo Helen and Graham Linen. Uh, Graham, of course, the writer of British comedy classics such as The IT Crowd and Father Ted. So that alone, I didn't know that at all until I looked that up the other day. But you can tell because there's there's quality to this. And I've really enjoyed what I've watched so far. I have rinsed through Series 3. It's just as humorous as what I've seen before. Weirdly, which I don't remember because I've watched it sporadically, my friend Oliver, he said, Oh, I really hated how they changed the format in Series 2 didn't notice that i haven't noticed a difference at all but whatever uh it's just very humorous nice easy to watch comedy although i say it's nice to watch there's a lot of rivalry between a number of the mums and they get quite nasty and snarky with one another it's not a family show by the way there's a fair amount of swearing in this so fair warning Speaking of the mums, it's got a very good mix of characters. You've got Anna Maxwell Martin, who most recently played the universally hated Carmichael in Line of Duty, and that's caused a bit of conversation online because people have been like, How can she go from that to this? She was horrific in the other in Line of Duty. Um, you've also got Diane Morgan, Bolton's very own Amy Adams, Hmm, not quite. She's more of a a world-weary, doesn't-give-a-damn-what-people-think kind of character. And then Lucy Punch rounds off the bunch with this quite snobby, thinks-she's-better-than-everyone type of mum, which is the source of much of the conflict, really. It's not completely female-focused. I said before, there's a singular dad, and that's played by Paul Reddy, who I've never seen in anything. He plays Kevin. um, And that offers a bit of a male counterbalance. He's he's just a hapless idiot, but he's so funny in it. I'm not a middle-aged mum, which might come as a surprise. Um, And I think that's what people think this series is geared towards, but I do think it has broader appeal than that, and it's just universally funny. So it's a good ensemble piece, and there's some clever writing to it too. I like what I've seen.
0: That does sound good, yeah. I think it is good sometimes to try to get over what you might assume is the target audience for something like The Pursuit of Love or what you've just discussed there. What was the name of it again? motherland on the bbc
1: agree with that as well
0: not shadow unborn if you're not a teenage girl do not watch shadow unborn <laughs> what else have you been watching another thing
1: which i had no desire to watch but somehow did halston this is the new netflix series that details the life of fashion designer Holston. halston, halston who saw a meteoric rise to prominence throughout the 60s and 70s in America. It has Ewan McGregor in the titular role, and I bloody loved his performance in this. I am not a huge Ewan McGregor fan. I thought he's been a bit me in a lot of stuff. But I think this is the best thing I've ever seen him do. He's so captivating, in this even down to the exaggerated way that he smokes which by the way he does a lot of there is a cigarette in his mouth more or less 95% of the time in this and I did have a worry at first because this is he's portraying a homosexual character and I thought have you gone too far on the camp are you making this a bit of a stereotype but I've since watched adverts with Holston from back in the day and he has got him down to a t it's remarkable it explores holston from his early days when he was a hat designer and he got his big break because jackie kennedy wore a pillbox hat during a lot of press tours right the 60s and it just skyrocketed from there and then it goes on to like branching out into different areas of fashion throughout the subsequent decades and holston because of who he is and who he's targeting these fashion designs at. He brushes shoulders with a lot of Hollywood royalty. So Liza Minnelli features quite heavily in this because they became good friends. And the actress who plays her as well is outstanding. So I guess as a film lover, even though I'm not a fashion lover, there's obvious nods to high profile figures that I am aware of. So I really enjoyed that. And and there's also like weird, not so obvious references, which I only found out after the fact. To people that i'm aware of and the best most insane example of this is weirdly at the beginning of his career he employed a window dresser to help him with his initial dress designs and the guy who he employed ended up being a bit of a liability because he finds him shooting up speed in a toilet and they're just mere days away from hitting a, a deadline and that guy is none other than real life filmmaker joel schumacher who tragically passed away a few months ago, director of classics such as Phone Booth, The Lost Boys, Falling Down, Batman Forever. He's played by Rory Culkin, and he's only in the first episode, but it's just like, wow, I I never knew that about Joel Schumacher. And I looked it up. It's all true. That's where he started his career. So it's just interesting. Um, Speaking of actors appearing for one episode only, they repeat quite a bit of that, because Vera Farmiga just turns up out of nowhere later on in the season. I thought, oh, that's nice to see. Just a bit part, but I like it. I've said it before, it's just really out of character for me to watch something like this, and I really don't know what made me go for it. I I suppose what it probably is, is I knew that this was a Ryan Murphy project, and I've liked quite a lot of stuff from him. American Crime Story, American Horror Story, Ratchet. And as you would expect from him, it's rich and lavish in its production design. It really goes to extreme lengths to recreate the time periods in such a well-constructed way. As you would expect for this kind of biopic, the rise to fame is met with a rather dramatic fall. And it is sad to watch at times, but I was just fascinated. And it's a lot of fun. I really, really unexpectedly enjoyed this.
0: I was going to watch this, and I didn't because we were doing a Netflix main review. So I will watch it now, based on what you've said. Thank you. I, I saw you McGregor was in it and thought, hello there, this looks quite good.
1: I'd never even heard the name before, though. Have you heard of I'd,
0: Halston? I'd never heard of it, the name either. But just from the trailer, you can tell the quality. And I suppose that's the Ryan Murphy effect. You can tell it's, an, it's a lavish, good-looking production. So I'll definitely check it out. Well, that's that. For what we've been watching, let's move on to real news. It's the real thing. It is now.
1: Real, real
0: news. News.
1: I hesitate to bring Zack Snyder up again, especially when we're reviewing one of his films, and it seems like he makes his way into every episode for some reason. But because of the Snyder Cut of Justice League, There's been renewed interest in something that was floated about over a year ago, and that is apparently that there is the existence of a Batman Forever Schumacher cut, which apparently is a lot darker in tone than what we ended up getting in terms of that final product. Obviously, Justice League has done very well, and people are now saying, oh, what's this? What's this dark version of Batman Forever look like? Ooh, I want it. I want it. It exists, apparently. It's not that it needs recutting. It's already been done. And it's 170 minutes cut, this, apparently, that Warner Brothers has in the possession. Now, tell me, James, what do you think about all this? Because
0: you listed it as one of the most underrated films of the 90s. And I stand by that. I love Batman Forever. So got some good memories of Batman Forever. I don't see how you could do it dark when Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Kerry do their performances with what they are unless you remove them from the film. I don't see how you can make it dark. Just the whole thing, the the costumes and the, the acting. I don't know how you could cut that to make it dark. But I'm interested. If this is a trend of releasing a dark version of everything, I'm not keen. But as it's Batman Forever, I'll let it slide and I do want to see it. Val Kilmer, underrated Batman. Yeah, I'm
1: in complete agreement on that. I'll just give you a quote, by the way, to add some context. So it pops back up into people's consciences again because Mark Bernardin, who is a co-host of the Fat Man Beyond podcast with Kevin Smith, he talked about it and he said he's got it on good authority that it exists and it went much deeper into the childhood psychosis and his mental blocks and that it was a more serious, darker version of the movie, but it was cut down because it's too dark for kids. And the studio essentially said, we got to sell these Happy Meals. So maybe let's not invest ourselves in the trauma of childhood murder. There you go.
0: That would make sense because apparently the studio was shocked by how dark Batman Returns was. So perhaps they wanted to... Well, they did obviously want to move away from that and do something much lighter.
1: And it landed somewhere in between. Yeah. James, what have you got for us this week?
0: Another person that seems to come up quite a lot on this podcast is John Boyega. And Attack of the Block 2 is happening. It's happening. It was officially announced by Joe Cornish, the writer-director, and John Boyega is going to come back. There's no details about the plot. I'm just very excited. It's been a decade since Attack the Block was released and so much has changed since then, Boyega said. I'm excited to see this heightened story return to the streets of London. Moses has remained one of my favourite characters to play and bringing him back is a huge honour. An honour is spelt correctly in that quote with O-U-R. <laughs> So I'm very much looking forward to this as a long-term Joe Cornish and John Boyega fan. Still the role for me that secured Boyega, in my mind, as a future leading man, which adds to the frustration of how he was wasted in Star Wars. But keep it positive. Attack of the Block 2. Looking forward to it.
1: Well, if we are back in cinemas then, you can watch that one on your own because I bloody hated it.
0: Hello like to order an opinion, please? This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the hours, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Army of the Dead. Now what if... We did something just for us. That's heavy, brother.
1: But I dig it. In 1998, a simple blowjob brought about the end of an era for Bill Clinton. In Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder shows us his take on the scandal, choosing to heavily mask his political leanings by framing it around a blowjob that takes place in a car rather than under an oral, sorry, Oval Office desk. The fallout of this act then subtly centres on the nuclear destruction of the city of Las Vegas, rather than an entire American presidency. Never before has Snyder showed such restraint in bringing his vision and personal political agenda to the big screen, unless you include the other rumoured DC Snyderverse films that he never got the chance to make.
0: Following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted.
1: James, what did you think of Army of the Dead?
0: This is not a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. We're settled on that, aren't we? We are, yeah. Zack Snyder's zombie nightmare raised from years of development hell. It's a zombie heist mashup. Infiltrate zombie Las Vegas and steal $200 million. Throw in... Slightly intelligent zombies that have built up their own culture throw in a search for the lost friend of Batista's daughter. Those two extra things are forgotten for big stretches, and it made me lose interest at times. At times during the two and a half hour runtime, during that two and a half hours, I did skip through the I'm putting together a team scenes where Batista visits each person and does one scene with each of them. I know the team, I've seen the trailer, I know I'm not going to care about any of them, so let's just get on with it. Once it gets going, once they're in, even then it starts and stops, but when it does actually really get going, it's got some good action, some good head explosions and use of automatic weapons. It's directed and director of cinematography by Zack Snyder, so it looks good. He knows how to shoot a shot and have people jump around. Dave Batista is properly good as an actor. He's not just good for an ex-wrestler, he's actually good. He looks the part, obviously, but he's sensitive as well. He's totally believable in everything that he does. Nora Arnazida, who plays the coyote, is the breakout star for me, who almost steals the show. She makes questionable decisions and tries to redeem herself. And she's the most knowledgeable of the group. And she's a badass with charisma and it'd be good to see her in something else. Maybe recast Captain Marvel as her. It's not a serious film. The pink font of the credits sets the tone for that. It's mostly enjoyable action, not really a horror, but it does have problems. Daniel, what did you think of Army of the Dead?
1: Just going to say, lay it out there, I'm not a fan of zombie films.
0: 28 Days
1: series aside, that's probably one of the only exceptions. And, ironically, Zack Snyder's 2004 directorial debut, which you mentioned before, Dawn of the Dead, which I really enjoyed. But the zombie genre is just overly saturated after two decades of people just doing this non-stop. So I've stayed clear of a lot of the majority of these films. I don't think it comes as a shock. The last 52 episodes should indicate as much. I'm not a Zack Snyder fan. So, you know, I was ready and armed to hugely dislike this. I also begrudge the fact that you drew attention to before. Two and a half hours. I didn't want to spend my weekend watching this film in segments. So... It was Friday night, I put this film on at midnight and I thought, let's get half an hour of of it out of the way. That's how I was approaching this film, getting it out of the way. (laughs) Next time I look at my watch, I'm an hour and 10 minutes in and I thought, I'm liking this. So whilst this is a film that in a way, you know, very much what I was expecting it to be, it would be unkind to not give it credit for delivering a rollicking good time because I think it does... And I'm not saying this is a masterpiece, or in fact that it's brilliant, but I think that Snyder pulls off injecting life into a rather tired formula, as you said, by combining a heist film with a zombie film. And I do like this setup too. Uh, A zombie outbreak in Vegas means they've cornered off the city, they're going to nuke it in three days' time, get in, grab the money and go. It's simple, it's effective, and it felt fresh to me. I also credit him, with what he does with the characters in the film too because they're all bright and interesting and I actually think he does a good job of juggling a rather hefty crew because at one point you've got nearly 10 members and I'm not saying that he fleshes them all out completely and they've got deep, rich backstories but there's just enough information there so that you know you know what purpose they're serving and they've all got their own individual quirks and styles and somehow they complement each other. I'm not slagging batista off i'm not because i do think he is a good actor but he's not the most charismatic of morphos in the world and you've got quite a lot of larger than life characters within his orbit here so it actually works that he's a little more subdued because it strikes a good balance of energy amongst them (laughs) it's quite funny that you um skipped the whole assembling the team bit because i was going to ask you how successful you thought that was in comparison to Justice League, because I really enjoyed it (laughs) in comparison. I said it before, it's it's predictable, but there's enough going on visually to keep you entertained and provoke a reaction out of you, whether it's laughing at the grotesqueness of it all, because it is graphically violent and gory at points, um, but it also, you know, you might get a kick out of the fetishization of the number of guns and bullets laid in front of you. You said there's some good tense action sequences, but one complaint that I do have in this is that you get this absolutely blistering opening credit sequence, which includes more action and explosions in five minutes than you get in the entirety of most action films. And I don't think any of what follows is quite as exciting as what you see within that sequence. And that's a shame because I was expecting it to be the same level of spectacle, and it's just not. At all, the running time, too. Yeah, it's a problem, but it didn't drag for me and I didn't feel it. It just needed some bits trimming off. But that's the Snyder Hater in me overall. It's unashamedly over the top, it's loud, it's gory, it's dumb, but ultimately, it's fun, and that's all that really matters.
0: Can we just dwell on two things you've said there because I totally agree? Number one, the opening montage has the more typical scenes of escaping hordes during the initial outbreak. And that does look more exciting than what we get in the main film. Mm. I agree with that. A fair chunk of it is spent in a small passage outside a safe dealing with the odd intruder. There's no big horde fight. The trailer has a horde fight and that's actually an imagined scene of them being surrounded by zombies, which someone imagines early on. Well, well they you just know cut they, it out. You know, but in, in you know the scene where they're being given the task and there's the 3D model of the building?
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: And the guy, the safe cracker, imagines them all stood in a circle surrounded by zombies. But he's just imagining it. And that's in the trailer.
1: Right, okay. No, I do not. So,
0: if you watch the trailer, you might be expecting a big horde fight, but that never happens. So, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. That even though it's set in Las Vegas, all the zombies are all together in one place, it opens with these scenes of massive hordes. That does not happen in the real rest of the film. It's much smaller scale.
1: It is, and, and I think I would have appreciated a bit more of the horde factor, but. It's not like it's just dribs and drabs, one or two zombies. You do get a fair amount of them, so I suppose compromise there. But, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page with that that particular point. If anything, James, did you have a favourite scene?
0: My favourite scene was when Samantha Wynne chambers the person with the red bandana when she was fighting off quite a lot of zombies in close quarters using her knife and guns in a desperate attempt to survive. That was a good scene.
1: Weirdly, that was my favourite scene.
0: And how it ended as well. The way how it kept you guessing.
1: Yeah, yeah. We thought she was dead and gone. Maybe she was. Watch it, find out. Or not. Up to you. Just a word on the violence. Did you think at one point, this is good. I'm getting a firm amount of violence here. But this is a lot of shooting people in the heads. And just because they're zombies... That's acceptable. I feel like if it was any other film with real human people, you wouldn't get more than four headshots without the film being banned. And it just felt a bit excessive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of headshots. But what was excessive about the headshots was that everyone had the aim assist turned on to 100% and everyone was popping headshots with everything. The only blood splatters from the zombies was all headshots.
1: Yeah, even the non-gun experienced of the crew seemed to be able to land headshots willy-nilly i agree with that
0: yeah the daughter she got a headshot in quite difficult circumstances and when batista sprays in an arc with his assault rifle it's all headshots it's pure headshots that that bothered me a little bit there's nothing of what you get in the walking dead of zombies getting the limbs chopped off and still crawling towards you or having the skin ripped off as the Pushed through a car window. It was like, we've got the makeup for the zombies. That looks good. Now let's just have them be shot in the head and fall over. There wasn't any really imaginative, sick violence to do with the zombies. And when other people we were being killed, it was mostly, or maybe exclusively, people being bitten in the neck. Mm. There was no guts being ripped out and people's intestines f- like flying all over the place. Could have had more of that. I mean, it is an 18. <laughs>
1: Missed opportunities.
0: Semi-interesting
1: factoid that you probably are aware of, but listeners might not be, Tig Notaro, who I hope I'm saying the name right, she plays the helicopter pilot in this. Her role alone meant another couple of million dollars being spent on this budget because, effectively, they had to green screen her in to all the scenes of a now-erased actor namely chris De'elia, who was slapped with some sexual harassment allegations against underage girls whilst this was in production weirdly just as a side note very similar to the role he plays in season two of you um which adds to the creep factor just thought that was semi-interesting scandal aside though i'm just saying i would never have known that she'd been cgi inserted into there don't know if that's the right term but thought it was quite seamless It was. I had no
0: idea. So did you read about that after watching it?
1: Yes, after. And thought that was highly impressive.
0: Yeah, I had no idea either. Batista has not met Tig Notaro, he said.
1: She pulls off being, you know, interacting with people very well. And I really liked her because she was very spunky.
0: I liked her character as well. Very fun and funny. And she's a comedian, apparently, which would explain why she is funny.
1: Before we go into spoilers, I only found out just before recording, this has gone down so well, or they anticipated this so much, that um, a prequel is planned and a TV show. Did you know that?
0: Yes, I did know. However, the TV show is animated. Ah, all right. It's an animated spin-off. Still might give it a go. James, would you
1: recommend *Harmit of the Dead?
0: Yes, for the surprisingly good performances and good action that happens eventually. Daniel, would you recommend Army of the Dead? Didn't think I would, but yes.
1: Shall we spoil it? Yes. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot.
0: Spoilers. It starts as a simple plan with Batista and his mercenaries going in to steal the $200 million. But Batista's daughter who's working as a volunteer outside Las Vegas, she wants to rescue her friend. So she joins them when they get in to zombie Las Vegas. Turns out, actually, there's a zombie king and a zombie queen. Fast forward to the end. The the safe's open. They're going to get the money out. But then people start dying off one by one. Batista decides to escape with his daughter and her friend because all hope is lost. Zombie king dies in the nuclear blast which happens, there's yeah, a nuclear bomb that goes off at the end, which they're all trying to run away from. And that's it. That's the plot. One guy does escape with a bag of money, somehow surviving the nuclear fallout. It's a nuclear bomb-proof safe. Okay, we'll just accept that, but we've all seen Chernobyl. We know what would happen to him. So the sequel tease is that this guy is out in a plane with a zombie bike.
1: Yeah, don't know, shove the words far-fetched in here because quite a lot of it is. But yeah, I think that was maybe a step too far. One thing that you omit- omitted there, which I'm not going to blame you for because I put you on the spot and said, James, please summarize this film because I don't know how to. But there's a twist which you should care about, but I don't really think anybody did. That's around 90 minutes in and it doesn't make any sense because the casino boss who set up the operation, his right-hand man is with them And he's there to be the eyes and ears for this operation, apparently. But it turns out that they never wanted the money in the first place. This is all a big ploy because they want the head of the Queen zombie so that they can produce weapons of mass destruction. The problem with this is he singularly kills the Queen zombie with no help from anyone else involved. He also does that whilst everyone else is otherwise engaged in the casino, apart from, I think she's called Coyote. So even less backup. Why did he even need them in the first place?
0: You've just dropped a nuclear bomb on this whole film. (laughs) Because you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Doesn't make sense, does it? And we already know that the Coyote named because she can smuggle people across the the border of Las Vegas. We know that she has access and knowledge of it. So the casino owner, if he'd done his research, which he clearly has, he would know that there is some illegal crossings going on. So he could just pay whoever needs to pay to do a quick border crossing and get the Queen's head, which is what happens. Yeah. Just
1: if they'd got rid of that one detail, which doesn't add anything anywhere, I wouldn't have been able to pick it apart.
0: When he gets the Queen's head, why doesn't he just leave? What does he end up doing? He goes into the casino to rejoin the heist. Right. D- so D- he could know. he could just turn round and sneak back out and just say to the... I mean, this is why it would make more sense not to have the casino heist because if he was employing the coyote just to collect the head he could say to to the coyote now take me back Mm. turn back over the border sneak me out of the refugee camp job done
1: ah well they can always improve upon this for future sequels and whatnot
0: can i ask you about the daughter's refugee friend so that would be geeta so kate eventually finds geeta puts her in the helicopter and when it happened i realized okay i guess this is what it was all building to it wasn't about the money it was about batista helping his daughter get this friend out and that's still a victory that was worth something but Gita dies in the helicopter crash
1: yeah but all makes it a bit redundant doesn't it
0: and kate doesn't care (laughs) When Kate gets out of the crash that only she has miraculously survived, she's saying, Batista, Batista, where are you? Doesn't call out for Gita, doesn't care where she is.
1: Because she's come to understand the love that she has for her father, which is far more than she has for Gita. perhaps. I don't know why I'm trying to make excuses. Yeah, it was quickly abandoned, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Another thing that was not abandoned, but it was on and off, was the intelligent zombies thing. It doesn't do that much. The king has some control over them, but their intelligence and their society isn't built on. Now, given that it's two and a half hours, you'd think they could do something more with it. And you have the queen, you have the zombie fetus, which was a disturbing image. So that's another question raised about what else is going on with these zombies, but it's not not dealt with.
1: Maybe all of this will be made sense of in a sequel and we're just being a bit too harsh. They've they planned this carefully, I'm sure. Can I ask you about what you thought about the father-daughter dynamic in this? Because I'll be honest, I thought he's killed a mom. she hates him, get it. Not the most spellbinding of, of relationship dynamics. Not really written a lot into that. But then I thought, oh, this is nice. They have this interaction where she's like, oh no, I don't hate you because you killed my mom. I hate you because you weren't there for me afterwards and you never saw me and you never checked in on me, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that's massively detailed, but I appreciated that it wasn't as face value. Oh, he killed her mom, and that's why she hates him. I thought they've took a bit more time to explore why it is so fractured between them. I thought that was quite nice. I wasn't expecting that.
0: I thought it was nice as well. And again, well played by Dave Bautista. When he yeah. was listening to that revelation, he was he was playing it well. And I wasn't expecting to care, but of the s- different subplots that were going on, I agree. That did do well, I think, in being developed.
1: Also, another blink and you'll miss it moment, really. There's an implied, well, it's not implied. It's the a past relationship and a love interest in his teammate. Forgotten her name. Maria Cruz his love interest. She has a neck snapped in a split second. She's gone straight away. That that shocks me. I didn't see that coming.
0: Yeah. Bring in the romance and then in the very same scene, have her get her neck ripped off. And when she was confessing the romance, I didn't think, have I missed something here? Have I missed something? Has it been said before? In fact, to be honest with you, ever since the opening montage, I was really confused about the relationships that... Mm were going on. And because of Zack Snyder's Taste in Women, I couldn't tell some of them apart. So the Redhead Band Chambers, played by Samantha Wynn, Maria Cruz, played by Ana de la Gita. Because it was all happening so fast, it's, it started to blend into one. And I thought, hang on, is one of these people Batista's wife? <laughs> and I couldn't get a hold of what was going on. Do you think that skipping the assembly bit of the team had anything to do with that? I didn't skip it completely. I was just pressing the 10 second fast forward bit. Repeatedly. Intermittently. Intermittently. <laughs> so I was like, right, they met this person. Yep, yep, yep. And then another person, bit of a chat, just bit of a chat, skip, bit of a chat, skip. But I'm sure that establishing who the mother was, it, uh, yeah, maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs>
1: Did you notice with Tignataro the end climactic action sequence in the helicopter, she is shot in the head and continues to fly the helicopter. And I'm sure that there's a cut after she's been shot and there is no blood over the windshield of the helicopter at all. And I thought, what's going on here continuity-wise? Because this doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, she's clearly shot in the head. It is obviously a headshot. So I didn't understand that either. But then when it cuts back to her, it's maybe she's been shot in the shoulder. Mm. But if she was shot in the shoulder, I don't think she'd be able to handle the helicopter the way that she did. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make sense.
1: But we both, again, despite all our criticism, still recommend it. So. I recommend it. Just
0: don't think about it too much. There's a lot of weird editing where it'll it'll cut and you'll feel like someone's skipped across a room. Or you'll see someone will be turning one way to be talking, and then it cuts to a different angle and the face in the other way. It's pretty bad, but they've just said, "Oh, forget it, just leave it." So,
1: after spoilers, the lesson is, as James said, don't just don't think too hard about this. Take it for what it is: nice popcorn, flesh-eating entertainment. And yeah, I've done with it.
0: Should we wrap it up there? Yes. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to send us your comments or suggestions for things to watch in the Podcast at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, link in the episode description. Next week, we're reviewing Cruella, the origin story to the puppy murdering maniac from 101 Dalmatians. Are you looking forward to that?
1: I don't know how I feel. And that's not anything deeply personal with me. I just don't know how I feel about that film. But I guess you'll find out next week after we've stumped up £25 each to watch Cruella on Disney+.